0: Please open your Bibles to John chapter 12. We are continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John. Last time we were together, we finished up with chapter 11, and we studied how Jesus had risen Lazarus from the dead, and uh, we saw in our study that uh, the reason Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead was... Not so that Jesus could establish a bring-back-the-dead ministry for all of his followers to walk in For from that point on, no. The, the reason that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead was stated in verse 43 of John chapter 11, where it says that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Today, some people question why the dead are not routinely risen amongst Christian circles. Because after all, it's right there in the Bible, isn't it? But as we are careful to read the Bible in its context, we come to understand that while Jesus was here on the earth, he had a very short time to establish in the hearts and the minds of people who he was and who he is. And today, you and I can still come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ really is as we read his written word. But we also saw in chapter 11 that once again the religious leaders were very disturbed with the works of Jesus. And in verse 53 we read that the Pharisees sat down together and began to make their plan to put Jesus to death. So Jesus left and went out into the country to hang out with his disciples. And if you uh, didn't get a chance to to listen to last week's teaching, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that study, uh, either on our website or on iTunes. But we're going to go ahead and move on now. So verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, let's go ahead and talk about these three verses here. Verse 1 says that, it was 6 days before the passover when jesus came back to bethany now why do i point that out here well the word of god is amazing for many reasons for one we know that from the uh, the book excuse me of hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that the word of god is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, I really want you to make a note of that verse. Highlight it in your Bible. Go back and, and meditate on that verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is what I just read to you. But what it means is that the Word of God is spiritual. Because it's able to do things within your heart at the very core of your soul. The Word of God changes you from the inside out. Religion attempts to change you from the outside in, man's way of doing things. They want you to change on the outside. But, you know, not only is the Word of God spiritual, it is also historically factual. And here in verse 1, the Apostle John is very detailed to give us the exact day in which Jesus returned to Bethany after he had performed an astounding miracle. So that's why I pointed that out. You see, because the Word of God is both spiritually practical and extremely historically factual. Then verse 2 says that they made Jesus a supper. So you see, Jesus was the guest of honor. And you know, there has never been a dinner guest that deserves more honor than Jesus. But if you ever stopped to think about the fact that as believers in Jesus, we have what the Bible calls in uh, Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if Christ is in us, then He is ever present with us And he should be the guest of honor at every one of our meals as well. Now, within verses 2 and 3, we see that Martha served, Lazarus sat at the table, and Mary was at the feet of Jesus. And you know, I believe that that demonstrates three activities for us as the followers of Jesus Christ. We need to be actively serving Jesus as we walk through this life here on this earth, like Martha was, now, you may say, how can I serve Jesus? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's three books to the left of where we are now in the Gospel of John. Um, So just go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 25. And, uh, Let's look down and start reading in verse 34. Okay, so Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. hopefully you're there. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Now, I think they're good questions. We might ask those questions too. And the king, verse 40, will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So you see, the answer as to how we can serve Jesus is found within these verses here. Very practically, we can give food and drink to the hungry and thirsty. We can provide shelter and clothing for those that are without. We can visit prisoners. And all of these things and more, when done in the name of the Lord Jesus, are are examples of how we can serve Jesus. And it's not narrowed down to just those things. There's things you can do to serve your neighbors. There's things you can do... Just within your community, all around, there's plenty of places where you can step out and in the name of the Lord, just serve somebody expecting nothing in return. And there are various other ways to serve the Lord, but we just need to listen to that still small voice that speaks to our hearts and tells us to reach out to others. You see, we emulate Jesus when we reach out and we lend a hand to another person. So back in John chapter 12, go ahead and turn back there. Like I said, Martha was serving, and Lazarus, he was sitting at the table with Jesus. And you know, I need um, you and me, all of us, we need to make sure that we have those times where we are just simply enjoying sitting down in the presence of the Lord and, and talking with the Lord, just Being there in His presence and having a chat with Him. Remember, we studied last time that Jesus understands all of our emotions. There's nothing you can't bring to Him. How many times have you been going through a difficult time and maybe a friend will come along and and just maybe say the right words or say, hey, let's get together for lunch. Let's go out and talk. It'll be good for you. And sure enough, you do. and, And sure enough, it is good for you. But you know, there is nothing better than sitting down with Jesus and realizing the friend that he is to you, that he desires to be to you. You know, as Lazarus sat at the table with Jesus here, I'm sure he was so thankful to Jesus for what he had done. You see, you remember, Lazarus was dead, and now he's alive. And as we sit and chat with Jesus, we do well to thank him. For that new life that He has given to us as well, as His followers. First Thessalonians, you don't need to turn there, but chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And you know, when you just spend time sitting at the table with Jesus, you'll find that uh, you'll begin to understand the will of God for your life. And I'm sure that that had to be one of the questions on the mind of Lazarus after being raised from the dead. What is your will for me, Lord? Why am I here? But you know, these are questions that we all have. And Jesus comes and he says, Hey, sit down, talk with me. Bring a thankful heart to the table of the Lord for all that he has done for you. Just sit down in his presence. So we have Martha serving. We have Lazarus sitting at the table with Jesus. Then at the end of verse three there, we see that Mary was at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him with all that she had. No possession of Mary's was so precious that she would keep it from Jesus. And you and I need to spend that time at the feet of Jesus as well, worshiping him and pouring all that we have out to Him, because 1 Corinthians 10.26 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to Jesus. He is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of all of our possessions. He is worthy of us just being at His feet in worship. So as Martha served, Lazarus sat, and Mary worshiped Judas. One of his disciples had a completely different mindset. Look at verse 4. It says, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. So here we see a very different attitude of the heart. With his mouth, Judas made himself sound righteous by acting as if he cared for the poor. But Martha, Lazarus, and Mary, they had the right attitude of the heart. But I believe that we have to carefully watch our own hearts. It is easy to say things like, I want to serve the Lord. But I need to take care of my needs first. Now, maybe you won't say that, but maybe that's the attitude of your heart. All of us can fall into that. Or we say like, I want to spend time sitting down with Jesus, but I'm just too busy. I, I don't have time to pray. I barely leave myself enough time to, to shower and get out the door in the morning. Well, that's no excuse because Jesus is with you in the car. And you can pray with him or, and pray to him, talk talk with him. You know, Or maybe we say, I want to bow down and worship Jesus with all that I have, but it just costs me too much. You see, Judas was thinking only about himself, while Martha, Lazarus, and Mary were completely focused on Jesus. All their attention was on him. Do you see that? Where are you today? Is your primary focus, excuse me, yourself, or is it the Lord? Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33 that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You see, that's the priority. That's the way it should be. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Verse 7. But Jesus said, let's go on here in verse 7, Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Now, that's a powerful statement right there that Jesus makes. Because I'd be willing to bet that Mary herself did not know the reason she was saving this costly oil of spikenard. Um, You see, back in those days, spices and ointments were often used as investments because they took up very little space. They were portable and easy to sell. Spikenard was very expensive to buy, and that is why Judas got so uptight uh, in verse 5 where he blurted out how much it was worth. But when it comes to worship, Mary gives us an awesome example. We are to bring all that we have to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus here in verse 7 gives us the real reason why Mary was saving that oil, even if she didn't know it. The Messiah had come. And it wouldn't be long before he would die on the cross and be buried. And here in verse 7, Jesus knows this is a very special moment that would impact the lives of believers for thousands of years to come. Today, you and I can see this story here. We can read this story and we can understand what true worship is. True worship that gives It's all. It gives all that it has to give. And that is what Mary was an example of for us. Jesus goes on to say, For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, as I read that verse there, I look at it this way. Though it is very important to serve the Lord like Martha And to sit at the table with Him like Lazarus, there is nothing better than just sitting at the feet of Jesus and worship. As Jesus communed with this family, this act of Mary's was a very precious moment in time. Like I said, we too can have those precious moments by getting on our knees and giving all we have to worship Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus says there in verse 8 that the poor you have with you always. But me, you do not have always. So there's a priority there. Yes, it's great to go out and serve, to do those things that the Lord wants us to do. But more importantly, is that we know Jesus for ourselves. You see, many people go out and do good things. And and they, they feel they're doing a wonderful thing. But you gotta know Jesus. You gotta know the Savior. You got to be born again, Jesus said And <clears throat> excuse me, John chapter 3. So most important thing is knowing Jesus. The most important thing is bowing down at his feet in worship of him. So let's uh, move on here. Now, verse 9 says, Now a great multitude, or excuse me, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, oftentimes in Scripture, you'll see a contrast between one behavior and another. Excuse me one second, I need to grab a drink of water. Ah, Sorry about that. But anyway, you'll see a contrast in Scripture between one behavior and another. We go from Mary a worshipper to a group of Jews that are fascinated spectators and nothing more they came for jesus but just as interesting to them was the prospect of visiting a man that had been called back from the dead and you know today there are many many churches out there and they use gimmicks and programs to draw in people but the the real reason that people should come together at church, it's just to worship Jesus. That's what it should all be about. Fellowship all around the name of Jesus. You see, I believe in simplistically teaching the Bible and, and bringing you to a place where you grow in your desire to simply be at the feet of Jesus. You see, church today, in many ways, has become somewhat like, uh, like the frosting on a cake you know the frosting is so good that we can't resist sticking our finger in it and putting some of that sweet tasting sugary substance on our tongues and in in so doing you know the cake sits there and and plays second fiddle just because although that frosting looks so good and it's so sweet Mmm, you know it's but the word of god should be the reason that we gather the word of god should be the substance of it all when we come together around the Word of God, this is a precious moment because His Word, as I mentioned earlier, is alive. It's active and it does things within our hearts and within our minds. And it has and it gives us the power that we need to thrive as followers of Jesus here on this earth. But I tell you what, the enemy of our soul desires that we do not come to that place of worshiping the Lord with all of our heart. He's okay with us enjoying the icing, but he wants you ignorant of the substance, the true substance that is knowing Jesus Christ. And we saw that they were plotting to kill Jesus, remember? Why? Because they did not want to believe that he was their messiah and he was upsetting their apple carts. And here in verse 10, they want to kill anyone that testifies of the glory of God. Look at verse 10. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. You see, that was the problem right there. Many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. They went away from that dead religion. They went away from being followers of man, followers of the priests and the Pharisees. They went away from that because they came to know Jesus. And you know, before I died to myself and was born again, you know, I... I, I was all right to be around. My friends liked me. Hey, as long as I was self-destructing, as long as I you know, was uh, just partying and doing the, the things that they were doing, hey, I was fine. But as soon as I became a Christian, as soon as I was born again, it was like I had contracted some kind of deadly disease or something. I was contaminated. All my friends wanted to avoid me they said oh he's a, he's a jesus freak now they didn't even know me they just they just heard you know that oh he's he's religious but it's far from religion it's a relationship with the god of all creation creation and and when you come to that place you have inner peace and contentment it doesn't make you a freak i walked I walk through this world. I'm in this world. But yeah, Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. So in that case, some people may call you a freak. They may say, hey, you don't do what we do. You don't, you're not who you used to be. Well, I used to be someone that was self-destructing. But over the last 24 plus years of of knowing the Lord, walking with the Lord, reading his word. I've had the joy of seeing many people impacted by the work that Christ has done in me and through me. And the Lord has blessed me with a wonderful group of friends and a wonderful group of loved ones. But don't be surprised, though, if the more you know Jesus, the less popular you become in this world. Verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, we talked about last time, there was a very large amount of people in Jerusalem for this particular um, Passover feast. Now, by a large amount, like I said, it's estimated to be over 2 million people. But notice here in verse 13 that they are calling Jesus the King of Israel. Historically, the Jews were an often oppressed people. They were oppressed by Pharaoh. They were oppressed by the Syrians. And at the time of this They were oppressed by the Romans. A couple of weeks back, um, I brought up a man in in our study a couple weeks back, a man named Judas Maccabee. You see, when the Jews were oppressed by a very nasty uh, Syrian king, Judas Maccabee formed a band of men that organized guerrilla warfare and overthrew this king. And this liberated the Jews back in that day from their oppression. And what they did was they praised Judas Maccabee by waving palm branches in his honor. Well, here in these verses, they're doing the same thing with Jesus. They want him to become their political king and set them, set them free from their oppression. But that is not the reason that Jesus came. Today, many Christians have fallen into this same trap. They use the name of the Lord for their political advantage. But Christianity is not about the flag, though we love our country. Christianity is about a cross. It's about dying to ourselves and our own desires, including our economic and our political desires. Jesus is not the king of America. He is the king of kings. In other words, he is above all else, and he calls us to come out of this world and follow him in building a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And as a pastor, I will not discuss political issues. I will teach the word of God and lead you into focusing on that which is not of this world and spiritual. I believe in the kingdom that is to come and I want to with each passing day be less and less of this world. I want my life to be more and more about Jesus Christ. So here they wanted Jesus to free them from their oppression. But Jesus was about to show them that he is the Messiah that has come to redeem them. Look at verse 14. It says, Then Jesus, when he had found a donkey, a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. You see what's taking place right here is the fulfillment of a prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Let's go ahead and keep your finger here in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 12, because we'll be turning back to it quickly. But go ahead and turn to Zechariah. Zechariah is in your Old Testament toward the very end of the Old Testament. It's just before the book of Malachi and right after Haggai. So we're going to look at chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So as we study John chapter 12, we are seeing the fulfillment of a prophecy made by Zechariah hundreds of years earlier. I just wanted to point that out to you so you know where that was. And flipping back to John chapter 12, verse 16 says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. So it took three years of the disciples walking with Jesus for their eyes were opened to the fulfilled prophecies about Jesus. But what does it mean here that they understood when Jesus was glorified? Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 24. New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So it's just before the Gospel of John, toward the end of the uh, uh, Luke 24. Luke chapter 24, and uh, just to set the scene um, of what we are about to read, Jesus has uh, risen from the dead, the tomb was empty, and Jesus is now out and walking about, okay, that's where we are here in Luke chapter 24. And we're going to read quite a bit of this here, but let's go ahead and start in verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company, who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? And beginning at Moses, In all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus here went all the way back to Moses to begin speaking about himself. You see, Jesus just didn't come on the scene in the times of the New Testament. He is, he was, and he always will be. Now let's continue on, verse 28. Then they drew near to the village that the body that Jesus had was a glorified body. He was right there in front of them and then he vanished and he disappeared. And they said to one another in verse 32, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and said to them, Peace to you. So now, all of a sudden, here he is again, his glorified body. Jesus reappears. Verse 37. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and feet. You see, after Jesus was crucified and dead, his disciples were extremely afraid because if they had killed Jesus, they're never going to come after those disciples next. But all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them in his glorified body and he shows them the holes in his hands and in his feet. And he has flesh and bone. So that's that's the kind of glorified body that Jesus had. And you know, someday when we see Jesus, he'll still have those markings that remind us for all eternity what he has done for us. But Jesus, after he rose, he still had uh, this body that was recognized. It was flesh and bone. It had the the nail scars. In John chapter 20, you remember uh, where Thomas doubted the resurrection of Jesus? And Jesus told Thomas to place his hand in the hole that was in his side? This must have been a pretty big hole. And the only thing Thomas could say was, My Lord and my God. But it's at this point here, where the disciples see the glorified body of Jesus, that they finally realize that all the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah, were fulfilled in Jesus. Let's go ahead and turn back to uh, John chapter 12. And just reading verse 16 again, kind of why I went into all of that with you. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him, so it was after his resurrection when Jesus was in his glorified body when the lights finally came on for the disciples, and then down in verse and then in verse seventeen here it says, "Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness." For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So it seems here that these people really want to follow Jesus, but as I said earlier, they have an agenda. They want to follow him for who they want him to be and not for who he really is. They want him to be a political leader. They don't want him to go to the cross. They want physical freedom. They want a prosperous life. They want that more than they want spiritual freedom and a prosperous soul. And you know, many false Bible teachers today are leading people down that same path, telling them that Jesus can be the God of their politics and the God of their checking accounts. But we don't see that in the scriptures. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. But you know, in reality here, the Pharisees really didn't have anything to worry about. Because not long from this time, these same people that were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, they will soon be shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. You see, if we make Jesus to be who we want for him to be, then we will be fickle people that flip flop back and forth from one emotion to the next. But if we understand through the scriptures, through the word of God, the truth about who Jesus really is, then we come to a place where we die to ourselves and we live this life completely by faith in Him. He's not the political king of America. He is not the God of our prosperity. He is the great I Am. The one who was and is and is to come, He is God Almighty, and we must make sure that we do not get into believing anything else. And how do we know all of this? How do we know the truth about Jesus? How do we know what His will is for our lives? It's in the Word of God. We must abide in His Word. Because His Word will keep us walking in the truth. As we study the Word of God, there will be constantly eye-opening experiences that take place for us. The disciples walked three years with Jesus, but when Jesus was glorified, they understood the truth of the scripture. For you and I today, when we allow Jesus to be glorified in our hearts and take his rightful place on the throne of our hearts, we then come to know the truth that sets us free. And we give up trying to make him suit our lifestyles. We stop trying to put him in our own little box and say, this is how we believe in Jesus in our church. Oh, well, yeah, well, this is how we believe in Jesus in our church. We stop trying to box him up and we come to a place where we within our own hearts as individuals absolutely surrender to him and where it causes us to just fall down on our knees like Thomas. And the only things that can come out of our mouth is my Lord and my God. That's what happens when you come to know Jesus is you fall at his feet in worship like we saw Mary doing. You have a desire to go out and serve him like we saw Martha doing. And you have that desire to to sit down and chat with him like we saw Lazarus doing. And all of this takes place. Why? Because we're such good people. Because we're Holier than thou? No. It's because we understand that we need a Savior. That we we understand that we fall short of the glory of God, that we've sinned. And we open our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, Lord, take control. It's not about me anymore. It's all about you, Jesus. God bless and thanks for listening. Like I said, we love to hear from you. You can contact us uh, via our website at aloveoutreach.com. You can email us at info at Um, aloveoutreach.com. Love receiving uh, your prayer requests. We love hearing from you. And uh, we'll see you next time. God bless.